0: Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Cape Town. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Shunblood. And I'm Ryan Ham. And this week we are talking about Shazam. This should be coming out just as the movie starts to actually land in theater. So hopefully... Um, if the, you don't go, want to go see the movie and have them explain to you what's going on, then we will take care of all of that here and get into a little bit of Shazam's backstory. We don't have everybody yet. Hannah is still out on leave. She's out on a, on superhero assignment for the time being, but we have more than two of us for the first time in two episodes. That's kind of fun. How are you guys doing? Good.
1: Yeah. I'm doing yeah. well. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm good. <laughs> oh, oh, good. You know, it's, uh, it's the end of winter. It's a very basic white guy chit-chat, like water yeah. cooler chit-chat.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm with Ryan like' it's the end of winter, it's just been like ton of gray in Nashville, so like it's it's really nice. We had a beautiful day, and yeah, it was it's just been awesome. like I'm getting back in the swing of work next week, so yeah, it's there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff around the corner,
2: oh, and in Cleveland baseball season has started, which is like our official start of spring, so. Indians had a home game the other night for the first time, and everyone was excited. And did you make it out? No, I've like op- going to opening day is like a fool's errand. Um, oh sure, it's yeah, it's a disaster. So I'm trying to find out uh, when the first game I'm going to is. But in typical Cleveland fashion, it's like almost warm enough to go to a baseball game. But then you look at it and it's like I really don't know if like 43 is going to be my uh, <laughs> big, like happy place in like the sixth inning. So usually we'll maybe go to the first game in May. So yeah,
0: you guys also just had the rock and roll like Hall of Fame. Doesn't that all happen up there?
2: Like they? Uh,
0: No, like almost (laughs) none of it
2: happens here. (laughs) Um, They do. Yeah, they do all the cool stuff in New York, and then like Cleveland just gets an exhibit. I think there's maybe an agreement where sometimes it happens in Cleveland, but I'm very unclear of when that is. Why is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland? That's
0: We're well, getting deep into it. Yeah. I do want to hear like the brief version.
2: Yeah, the brief version is, is Cleveland was home to the first radio station that used the term rock and roll. So okay. like they were big, like there was a radio station here that was like one of the first places that would play like what became, what came to be known as rock and roll um, in like the 40s and 50s. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And no so they kind of kept up that reputation. So. Oh, huh, that is actually super interesting. Yeah, well, thank you for. And we talking. randomly have like some decent bands that came out of here. So
0: let's. You, you know. also a little more on brand, Ryan. You saw Captain Marvel. I did. Like I you agree. were you were late to the game. You helped to get over the billion the billion dollar market <laughs> <Yeah>. crossing today <the laughs> that
2: we're recording this. You were that might have been you that that tipped yeah, it over the true. edge. It's true. Yeah, we haven't and we haven't talked about we haven't had a podcast since Captain you Marvel know, came since out. No, came out. Yeah. We haven't been able to. Take all of
0: our takes to it. we'll, we'll start with you, right? Since it's freshest in your mind. What'd you what'd you think?
2: I liked it a lot. I had some lowered expectations because I read some uh chatter from friends that I trust that didn't like it quite as much. But uh I went and really enjoyed myself. Um I would put it, like, this is going to sound like an insult, I would put it, like, at the same level as Doctor Strange, which I know for a lot of people, that's, like, their least favorite Marvel movie, but I love Doctor Strange, so it's uh, a compliment. I think it does a good job of sort of having its cake and eating it, too, in terms of an origin story. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Marvel has painted itself into a corner a little bit with the fact that it has, you know, how many, 12 years of history now uh, to sort of play with, so... Um, origin story movies are always going to be kind of a tough sell, but I think they did as well as they could with like a very confusing character with like lots of alien beings and stuff. So yeah, I thought, I thought it was really good. Um, I thought uh, her like hero scene was like one of the best of any of the Marvel movies. The like very end when she, yeah, like yeah, jumps into her true, like full power. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like when everything kind of clicks, like, I thought the Cree scroll stuff was really interesting. Who's it that plays the main scroll? Ben Mendelssohn. Yeah, yeah. I thought his performance was really good, which I know is, like, not a hot take. And I thought Samuel L. Jackson was really given a chance to flex his muscles. Uh really for the first I mean, like kind of in the for the first time in a Marvel movie, maybe since like Iron Man Two. Samuel L. Jackson has never been given a whole lot to do in
0: retrospect in these movies, even though yeah. he's been in from the from the very top. And this is the first time it's he got to really stretch his wings. And it seemed like he was Having a lot of, he was really enjoying himself in this yeah. movie. It's probably nice to have more than two lines for the first time in, <laughs> in one of these. And and I thought he earned his stripes. I thought their their buddy cop dynamic was one of the stronger parts of the movie.
1: Yeah, I think even like watching all the stuff that, like there was a ton of behind the scenes stuff that went on. Mm-hmm. That you know you get to see a lot of Brie and Samuel L. Jackson's interactions, and I feel like it just made me love their uh, on screen chemistry way way more. I agree. Like I had a ton of fun with it. Uh and, and I would agree with the parallel of Doctor Strange. I think it was one of the I, that movie that you know, they needed to put out before in game yeah. because they really wanted yeah. to introduce her and like for audiences to have an actual emotional connection to her. So and I I think like the post-credit scene and everything and even the in-game trailer that came out afterwards uh where it finally introduced her uh, and having an inter- interaction with Thor. Like that was just like really cool. And I don't know, you just wouldn't have that if you didn't have this movie. So it did its job, I think.
0: It It's weird the how it served, how much it raised the hype for Endgame, like how much that movie, despite some sort of like, I know there's been some people who are sort of off on it. We, I think we're all in this, on this podcast right now, are we're pretty into it. One member of the podcast who would not want to be named uh, was not a big <laughs> fan of it. We won't we won't reveal her if if she wants to out herself when she comes on. She can't. Uh, but I know there are some dissenting opinions even on this podcast. But I do think that that uh, everybody seemed very hyped. At least the, that post credit scene was memed to death uh, online. So uh, yeah, I'm really pumped to see where the Rousseau's take the character 20 years down the line from, from where we saw her last. And it was, a, I, I thought it was a great movie. And I think the, the money that it's made is as well-deserved as a movie earning a billion dollars can be deserved.
2: Yeah. I think it'll be interesting how they um go about the time stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's like, I mean, Brie Larson did not age 20 years uh, from the end of Captain Marvel to the uh, trailer. So
0: didn't she say something the um, Supreme Intelligence said something to the effect of we gave you longer life or something that kind of maybe implied that she maybe her aging has slowed down a little bit? Oh, I didn't
2: catch that. That could be. Well,
1: she has Jude Law's blood, so and he hasn't aged in 20 years. So that's a good <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is
2: true because she's got she's like part Cree now, right? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was one of the things that was like maybe a little hedged on in the movie. Uh, where It was like, yeah, sure, she's Cree. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's Cree. <crazy. Sort laughs> uh, no. Blood transfusions on Cree are basically an entire species replacement. So,
0: But that's one of those things where it is, they, they took what was, and this is, I think, impressive. It wasn't talked about a whole lot. This was a very complicated origin story. In the comics, it's almost absurd how just convoluted her story has gotten, despite several attempts to retcon it and make it a little more simple, which I think they have kind of done recently. But at, at no point in the movie was it at all confusing to me what was going on, even if some of it just had to do with them hand-waving away an explanation, which yeah. I think they did
2: more than once. Which, I mean, is fine. That's a comic book thing yeah, to do. Yeah,
0: I don't really care. About, that's yeah. not... That bothers some people. It doesn't bother me. We don't need to spend too long on this, but something else I did want to talk about is that this week, Marvel's big uh, summer event kicks off their their comic book event begins uh, ahead of endgame the war of the realms which is a storyline that jason aaron has been building to for the past uh, i believe five years now starting in the pages of thor when he first took over the thor ring, he started teasing the war of the realms and it all culminates this summer beginning this week and uh, after that after this he'll be done with his thor story that'll be it for jason aaron on thor and so i'm really excited about this and i know there's some sort of mixed opinions on big event titles because they bring in pretty much every comic book that's happening at Marvel or at DC and they do an event and they all center around the same story, which means if you want to understand what's going on, you kind of have to buy a pretty heavy chunk of them. Uh, and that it can be seen as a little bit cynical, but in this case so far, it just feels really fun and exciting to see something that one writer, Jason Aaron, who I really love as a writer, has been working on for such a long time. And I'm kind of pumped a bit to see where it goes. I don't know if you guys have been following it, Obviously, it won't hit my universe for another six months, but it's exciting right now. Well, I didn't
1: read. I haven't read anything after his God of Thunder run, Mm -hmm. which was incredible. Uh, But like when everything switched over to Jane Foster, I haven't really kept up with it. And uh, so this has been something that I've... I mean, the idea of like his whole run, like finally coming to a close uh, with War of the Realms, it feels cool. Like, I feel it, it's something that I would love to just re- reread God of Thunder and then get back into uh, taking everything from the beginning and finishing it out. But yeah, this sounds like it sounds like a really cool event. Um, I'm curious, like, what lasting effects that they end up having?
0: Yeah, I do too. I don't know if it'll be. I don't want to. We can't really tease anything right now. But if you're into the comics, if you want to read a really great comic series, the past few years of of Thor uh, as written by Jason Aaron have just been fantastic. It's a really, really great run. I think it's the strongest thing, most consistently strong thing that Marvel's had probably since he started. And and I'm just looking forward to seeing how it all wraps up. It's gonna. I'm get. I get a little sentimental thinking about it because I've been reading it for a long time now. And speaking of things that have been happening for a long time, we got a new Joker movie in the works, our <laughs> our uh, most recent one, and a long line of Joker movies. I take it you guys both saw the trailer starring Joaquin Phoenix, uh, directed by The Hangovers, Todd Phillips, and uh, I guess it's up. What'd you think? I loved it. Loved it.
1: Yeah, I did. I I don't, I guess I was, I don't know if I was in the minority of I thought I was reading like some good things. And then Elise actually told me that she was like seeing people like having some pretty negative takes on it. I just like, I love the tone of it. I love the idea of like seeing Joaquin bring his own flavor to this role. Um, even if it's not traditional, like comic book, even if it's not Heath Ledger, like, I feel like it's he's just going to own it and make it something um make it something unique. So I feel like we have a good movie coming out. It's one of those movies where like the teaser did its job and I don't think I really want to watch another trailer for it. Oh yeah. Sure. Because I feel like I got what I needed out of this. Um I have been curious to hear what you guys think because yeah, I just really wasn't privy to a lot of the negative backlash that it was getting.
2: I thought it was really good as well. Um I thought, you know, just as a trailer it was really remarkable. I thought the tone seemed really good. Yeah, I was telling Tyler, like, it feels weird, but uh, I think the only thing I wanted to see was, like, just a maybe a quick shot of him sort of, like, in action, which sounds odd, but, like, it sort of, like, hinted at it, you know, that he would do some, like, really despicable things, but I feel like the the thing with the Joker that's always kind of the um, the wild card, no pun intended, is to, do these sort of shocking things with no real warning. Yeah, overall I thought it was really good. I guess like my only the only thing I'm like a little leery of is like the parts where it's like oh poor Joker or poor Arthur where it almost like makes sense that he becomes the Joker. Um like that to me is a much less interesting take on the Joker than sort of uh just this agent of chaos that kind of arises from the ashes of happiness. So yeah, I'll be really curious to see what they do because I um, I think there's a ton of different ways I could go for it, and I'm excited to see what they are, um, which I never expected to see. Um, the one thing I'm actually not into is that Tyler told me that a young Bruce Wayne appears, so if we get another Death of the Wayne scene, I'm really not going to be pumped about that. So
0: We don't know that we're getting the Death of the Waynes, but there is a young Bruce Wayne, and I believe Thomas Wayne is also cast in the movie, so we could... We could see their death of the wanes, but hopefully by now DC's aware that there's just too many out there as it is. Uh, but in, in general, yeah, I I saw some people who weren't super into it, but I but I feel like offhand, I'm intrigued at least, and that's what you want a trailer to do. I'm I'm curious to see where they take this. I kind of share your concern, Ryan. I'm not sure now is the right time where I really want a movie to show me why a, uh a guy's like descent into violence could maybe be a sympathetic thing, but I don't know that the movie necessarily is going to do that. I I think that there's a difference between defending him and creating a sympathetic portrayal and just showing how somebody kind of descends, somebody uh, victimizes themselves in ways that are not justified, but uses the cruelty of the world as an excuse to become something even worse. Uh, I I think there's a lot of ways it could end up being very interesting and, and even sort of relevant right now to, so to so where we're at, so I'm. I think I'd be a little more excited if I wasn't kind of suffering from Joker fatigue from the past few years. But I am after the trailer. I'm. I would say I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I think that that take of like having a sympathetic side of the Joker. I feel like it would just completely dismiss. I get that they're not trying to do what has already been created for the Joker, Mm -hmm. but that just, I feel like really dismisses what makes the character great. So yeah, I hope that it doesn't turn into that, but I can understand like how the trailer definitely gives off
0: that vibe the trailer lends itself to that but it doesn't necessarily mandate that that's what the movie is going to be right. like at all right. so i am not at this point and that would be a very tone deaf thing to do and it'd be in fact so tone deaf that i kind of think they they would even hollywood not known for being super sympathetic to the nuance of these conversations i, I think they'd be pretty cautious about stuff like that Another DC movie, it looks like it's coming from the other end of the spectrum, is actually the one we're talking about this week, which comes out, uh, now we got we got Shazam, and it's getting good reviews. I think people are, are excited about this one, from what I can tell so far. I've tried to stay a little bit spoiler-free. Just because I'm like, uh, I just want to be surprised by it. But it looks like Zachary Levi is having a lot of fun. And I, I hope to be there this weekend at some point. Has anybody read any more reviews than I have? Does anybody have any like takes that are more interesting than that?
1: No, I've just seen people really excited about like how just light and it's its own kind of unique comic book movie. I don't know. Like, I don't think I've read anything that's been that's any different than
2: what you've mentioned.
0: What have you guys, in preparation for this episode, read of Shazam slash Captain Marvel comics?
2: I read uh, Shazam: The Monster Society of Evil. I read just like the first issue of Shazam, like in the New Fifty Two, which uh, was Jeff Johns' run. Mm-hmm. Um, I read Shazam: The Power of Hope, which was the Paul Dini Alex Ross short.
0: You really did read a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like feeling ashamed of myself right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, I read Superman and Shazam, uh, First Thunder. Um, and then I read The Power of Shazam, which, like, The Power of Shazam and Shazam and the Monster Society of Evil are both kind of origin stories. And then uh, Superman and Shazam is like the first time they meet. And then the world's greatest superheroes. Uh, which has Shazam the power of hope i think it's called that's like a a collection of it's it's really beautiful it's it's uh i can't remember what else alex ross did um world's greatest right uh
0: that's right yeah
2: yeah so it's in that style like that really beautiful painted style uh uh-huh. um, and ross. the whole thing is in that yeah and it just has like little it's got it's got most of the like justice league heroes in it each one of them has their own kind of like one shot um and it's like it's really beautiful so um, yeah, I basically just Googled the best Shazam stories to read and then tried to get most of them in my public library. But
0: like most people, Shazam just really isn't really a major, super relevant character for, for our generation anyway. Um, a lot of people don't go out of their way to read a lot of Shazam comics. What was your, uh, what was your takeaway from your deep dive?
2: I think I was like pleasantly surprised at how good the character was, um, I think I was also surprised that DC hasn't been able to do very much with him. Like that was the weird thing is like trying to find Shazam comics. Like it's not like, like I don't even know what they're doing with him in rebirth. Um, He had a new 52 book, but I think it only lasted for a single volume.
0: Yeah. It didn't go very long.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, I know he's been in the justice league and stuff, but just reading like some of his origin story, especially and inland, like some of his rogues gallery, like, his relationship with Black Adam I think is really interesting that doesn't have a parallel really in any other DC hero. And so it's like I'm really surprised that no writer has been interested in really taking that on and like leaving a definitive mark on it. Like I wonder, and this is just kind of idle speculation, but like I wonder if some of it is the hesitance that comics can be for kids in addition to being yeah. for adults. Yeah, Because um, like Jeff Smith, Jeff Smith is the writer of Bone which is like sort of the quintessential um, graphic novel for kids. And so his is like very cartoony, like pretty pretty kid-friendly. And like, it just makes sense because like, and I mean, I think that's what the trailer is tapped into. Like, you know, Shazam is this like 11-year-old boy Uh, who suddenly becomes a superhero and it's like there's something awesome in that um because like i you know i my son has seen the preview a few times and he's only four but he was like so excited to see a kid become a superhero because that's what he pretends every day i hope at some point there's maybe going to be a pendulum swing back to where like it's okay to have some comics for kids again um in like main canon uh mainline series so usually they kind of leave those in there uh, non-canon books, but I think it'd be cool to have uh, like a kids' comic in the main mainstream DC universe.
0: And I think that's something that the that the Shazam comics, um, especially early on when they were when they were called Captain Marvel, tapped into really well was that idea of of a, like wish fulfillment, right? Because even like there's always been some sort of like, they're a secret identity, they're a nerd, they're a loser. And nobody can tell that these people are actually super strong guys, almost always guys who show up and save the day. And then Shazam took that to the next logical level since, especially the time of his creation, which was all the way back in the thirties, these were comics for kids. And so it made sense that uh, the little boys who read Captain Marvel would be able to would want to see themselves as superheroes and the creator CC Beck and Bill Parker found a way to tap into that by say, by what if you could just say a magic word and you'd become basically superman and at the time captain marvel uh rivaled superman in popularity his comics were very very popular and little boys loved these and it was a really delightful it was it was for children in a way that was really uh, explicitly for kids. There was no even sort of wink at the world of of adulthood like there was with Clark Kent who had, a, had to have a real job. Billy Batson was just a little kid and he played with little kids and he would stay that way until there was crime. And then he would say Shazam and he would turn into to Captain Marvel. There's a whole long and frankly kind of boring legal reason that eventually they had to change his name from Captain Marvel to Shazam we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the uh the script but Ryan you kind of hinted at this a little bit I'm just curious what you guys think why do you think that popularity that he had sort of dropped off and why don't you think DC's been able to to figure out how to make him a premier character again until perhaps this movie
1: I wonder if it plays into... I mean, you guys touch on what made it so popular is that it plays so much more to... Like this childhood dream of being like having superpowers is something that we talk about so much on just like you know like why we like resonate with the heroes that we love and seeing a kid actually be able to do that it was such a huge thing for this like w- generation once upon a time I wonder if it's just like solely a like a demographic thing like we like I feel like the median age range for comic book readers has gone up. And so the sell for like an eleven, you know, eleven year old kid who gets superpowers is not as appealing. Maybe it just has to do with the fact that like they're not solely selling to kids anymore, and like there there are way more, I wouldn't say more interesting stories, but they've definitely been able to do a lot more with, uh, you know these older heroes that have just kind of like withstood this uh, test of time.
0: I think that's probably true. I think that there's also just the fact that uh, I think the idea behind Shazam, the idea that you could say a magic word and turn into a superhero, that still plays, that still has traction, because that's a really interesting, really fun idea for a little kid to, to have. And I think the... If the movie is successful, and it sounds like it probably will be, then th- that'll be proof that they were really on to something. But I think it's also probably true that comic books just aren't where kids go to find their their cool stories anymore. They go to the movies, or or increasingly they go to to video games, and I doubt that. Even if the movie is successful, I I doubt that many six-year-olds are going to go to the store and ask their parents to bring them back a a Captain Marvel comic or a Shazam comic, which is too bad because there's a lot of – when I was a little kid uh, growing up in in rural Nebraska – The library, the only comic book they had was an old, old trade of a collected of, of old uh, Shazam, uh, at the time, Captain Marvel comics from the 30s and 40s. And I just loved it. I thought it was, I I rented it like just week after week. I'd go back and buy it again. And and so he was kind of my first uh, exposure to comic books. And I don't think I even knew that it was, these comics were from uh about 50 years before i was born because i just like the fantasy a lot but i don't see that playing in the same way did today they weren't even colored they were all black and white
1: he's not a Fortnite hero
0: It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the kids these days. Kids with their Fortnite. (laughs) I also, I mean,
2: I also feel like, and if there are any DC execs listening, you know, feel free to take this and run with it. Like, I think as comic books become more mainstream, or like it, maybe this is you know a self fulfilling prophecy, but it certainly feels like reading comic books has become much more of a mainstream thing. I mean, you know, they had those giant books at Walmart for a long time, and you know. It's not an odd thing to see people reading comics or, you know, at least, you know, subscribing to Marvel Unlimited and all these other things that were never available before. Because I think Chris is right. Like the median age of a comic reader has gotten older. But it's also like the median age of a comic reader is old enough that a bunch of comic readers are having kids. And I mean, this may just be like very much my own biases. But like my son is always trying to read comics with me um, when I'm reading them. And I'm always like, oh, you can't read this one because it's too violent. And like, it feels like there is a huge possibility of an untapped market for DC to basically say, like, oh, here's one that your kid can read. And at some point, like pure, like, pure capitalism has to kick in because they have to realize that parents are gonna want to share this with their kids, and they they need to have an option to share it with their kids. And so, like, you know, Star Wars is cornered this and like dc could i think do a really good job of doing it because they are—they already have the animated stuff um like the animated series which are amazing so maybe now throw us a bone with the comics too
0: i want to talk a little bit more about those uh some of those comics and how they work and we will get into the the very strange uh we'll call it an odyssey of, of shazam here in the script It was 1940, and the race was on to create the next big Superman and or Batman follow-up. The titanic success of what we now call DC Comics had inspired dozens of creators to create hundreds of imitations, and why not? In 1940, the economy was struggling, war was looming, and paper was cheap. People needed heroes, and they weren't hard to come by, though initially... None of the pretenders came even close to replicating the sort of cultural dent Batman and Superman had. But it was over at Fawcett Comics that lightning would strike twice, where an unlikely duo, a Minnesotan preacher's son named C.C. Beck and an Ivy League grad named Bill Parker, decided to shake up the fledgling industry. Quote, when Bill Parker and I went to work on Fawcett's first comic book in late 1939, we both saw how poorly written and illustrated the superhero comic books were, Beck told an interviewer. We decided to give our reader a real comic book drawn in comic strip style and telling an imaginative story based not on the hackneyed formulas of the pulp magazines, but going back to the old folk tales of myths of classic times. Their creation was originally called Captain Thunder, though a young assistant would suggest that just before going to print that they change it to the more fanciful Captain Marvelous. They liked the name, but it was too long for the word balloons. Captain Marvel would have to do. But what a Marvel he was. As Grant Morrison would later observe, Superman was science fiction and Batman was crime fiction. But Captain Marvel was the first foray into pure fantasy. Everything about him, from his story, to his powers, to the way he talked and looked, was fresh and different. For the first time, here was a superhero who wasn't an alien, a tragedy, or a scientific accident, but someone who was truly, in the traditional sense, magical. Captain Marvel was actually Billy Batson, a Depression-era orphan picked by a wizard to turn into a superhero whenever he wants. Just by saying the old wizard's name, Shazam, a clap of lightning shoots down and turns little Billy into a barrel-chested, slick-haired superhero in red tights and a billowing white cape with gold trim. Shazam was an acronym for the powers he had. S for the wisdom of Solomon, H for the strength of Hercules, A for the stamina of Atlas, Z for the power of Zeus, A again for the courage of Achilles, and M for the speed of Mercury. In the early days, it was never completely clear just how complete the transformation was. Whether Captain Marvel was basically Billy Batson's brain in a superhero body, or someone else altogether who just changed places with him, it wasn't terribly consistent. But what was consistent was the vast and whimsical mythology surrounding the stories. Captain Marvel's world was lovingly rendered, but also cartoony, which allowed for much more outlandish concepts. Captain Marvel would eventually gain friends like Captain Marvel Jr., Mary Marvel and the whole superhero family would soar across the globe, performing mythic feats of daring do, while exuding warmth, goodness, and kindness to readers. It was all a huge hit, and Captain Marvel's sales dethroned even Superman's, making him solidly the most popular superhero comic of his day. C. C. Beck based Captain Marvel's face on actor Fred McMurray, best known as the patriarch on My Three Sons, but Captain Marvel's own look would, in turn, go on to influence others. Eventually. Elvis Presley started having his costume designers model his sequin capes and high collars after Captain Marvel's look, and even painted a lightning bolt on his private jet in honor of Shazam. And yes, the good times weren't to last. DC was threatened by Captain Marvel, so much so that they took Fawcett to court, saying he was too similar to Superman. It's true, the surface similarities, a super strong guy in a cape flies around and fights bad guys, were there. But any reader could tell that Superman had no more in common with Captain Marvel than Robin Hood does with Robin Williams. But the courts weren't so sure, and eventually, Fawcett himself seemed to tire of the legal battle and agreed to sell the character to DC. They agreed to the deal and shut Captain Marvel down, although, of course, the word Marvel would return to haunt them in the future. DC swept the character into its own stable of comics and tried to revive him in the 1970s, now calling him Shazam, since Marvel Comics had created their own Captain Marvel during the original character's hiatus. And Shazam's been a staple of DC ever since, although he's never reached the heights of his past popularity. Still, his mark on popular culture is secure. The early days of superhero comics were for children, but the early creators were stuck on how to get someone the age of their young readers into the comics. You couldn't very well have little kids running around beating up bad guys. Safer to make them a sidekick, like Robin. But C.C. Beck and Bill Parker's genius was in recognizing just how possible everything was in this new superhero comics medium. Things didn't need explanations. They didn't even always have to work consistently. The rules were fluid because the medium was fantasy. And maybe more importantly, they realized just what their readers wanted. They didn't want to just read about heroes. They wanted to be them. They wanted to be the ones doing the saving. All the competitors, the creators of Batman, Superman, The Flash, and the rest knew this, but couldn't figure out how to tap into it. Turns out all anyone ever had to do was save the magic word. I want to ask you about this, and this kind of ties into some of the like the capitalism that you were talking about, Ryan, a little bit earlier. But in the case of Shazam, which, which we haven't seen, but what I understand is that it is not tied to the larger DC extended universe. Uh, Aquaman was barely tied to it. Wonder Woman, the worst parts of the movie were the parts where they tried to connect it to the larger DCEU. And other than a very brief... Uh, a little minute-long bumper at either end. It it wasn't at all. Do you think that this is the direction that DC should go, especially if they want to try to diversify through an R-rated Joker movie out there for adults, a a PG Shazam movie for the kids, and then just try to diversify that without worrying about the larger interconnected mythology? Is that even feasible for movies like these? I think what we're seeing
1: with Marvel and what they've done with this whole Infinity Saga through these first three phases of movies, no one is ever going to do something as special as this again, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that DC has tried for so long to do it, and I, I really like this approach of making just making a fun movie like Shazam or giving like some creative freedom to make a movie like uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker, and see what good movies you can actually make, like just. Keep making good movies that will put people in the seats and like and entertain us. There doesn't need to be another Marvel universe. Like we don't need this huge, like interconnected thing, in my opinion. I get that there are so many people that would love to see it, but I think that what we've gotten has been so special that um we don't need every franchise to have the, you know, their own universe.
2: I kind of agree. I <laughs> I think what we have seen with Marvel is that you know, what they've done has been special. And I think what they did, no one was expecting. So there was a lot more patience in the beginning because nobody really knew what was going on. So like you could have Iron Man 2 and Incredible Hulk back to back and not have, you know the entire internet basically saying like, Oh, just scrap this whole thing. (laughs) Um, Sure. And so like, I I think what they're doing right now is right. Like there's, I mean, there's no reason for any of these movies to tie together because like, as far as I'm concerned, there is no shared DC universe. Um, And I don't even, I don't even think that DC or that Warner brothers is like pretending anymore. You know, they're recasting Batman. It's like, they're throwing out all the old stuff. Um, I think Zack Snyder had an EP credit on Aquaman, but as far as I can tell, like, there wasn't a lot of him in it. You know, he's giving interviews telling people to grow up if they think Batman shouldn't kill people.
0: Yeah. That was weird. We didn't really talk about that. The, yeah. the, the infinite, that tweet went around the world of, yeah. of Zack Snyder telling people who think Batman shouldn't kill to grow up.
2: So, you know, I don't think there is a DC universe, but I will say like, if they want to try to build one the right way, like I would love to see like crisis on infinite earths in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, that would be awesome. Like, that would be extremely cool. But first, they need to have, like, filmmakers who actually are interested in, like, telling some of those stories that they would need to tell to get there. Like, I think if they do it right, they can learn from some of Marvel's stumbles you know, not have to replicate Marvel in the same way. Cause like in the same way that the comics don't replicate what Marvel does well mm-hmm. versus what mm-hmm. DC does well, you know, or like they could do what the comics do and just steal some of the people who made the Marvel movies and uh, <laughs> make, like make them do it. And then Marvel can steal them back in 10 years. Like that's, you know, that would be just copying the industry standard. So like, I think it's possible mostly just cause I want to see some of those big crossover stories on a big screen. And I, like, I would love to see some of those characters, like, see how they interact together.
0: I think that the opportunity for that is coming in. And DC probably smells, I don't want to say blood in the water, but with Endgame coming up, it's definitely the end of an era for Marvel. And that doesn't mean that their next phase won't be good. I think every reason to think that you know the Eternals and Guardians of and the Galaxy three, X Men, and X Men Fantastic Four. Let's be honest, which we yeah. have no news on whatsoever, but are definitely in the wings. There's no reason to think those are going to be bad. Like, those are probably going to, I think the streak will probably stay alive to at least some extent. But if DC really wanted to capitalize on a definitely improved slate of movies, which they have right now, they're coming off of a lot of success with Aquaman. People are excited about Shazam. They're excited about Joker. uh, Then then now would be a good time to do it. And there's probably a a little bit of a a chink in Marvel's armor coming up here.
2: One thing I hope Marvel steals from DC is like giving creators the freedom to make some of these weird little standalone movies. Cause I mean, Fox was the one who greenlit uh, Logan. So, you know, at that point really Marvel studios didn't have much. I mean, I mean, I have no idea how the backdoor machinations work, but um, you know, they weren't the studio ponying up all the money, but I, I do hope now that everything is under the Disney umbrella, that they'll start giving uh, some creators, some, you know wiggle room to start doing some Mm -hmm. stuff with because i like i think that's the only thing that makes me nervous with it is like seeing how tight disney has been with like the star wars ip like i hope that's not what happens with marvel um across the board as well and i would love to see them give some chances like dc is taking with joker um, to some filmmakers in the Marvel world.
0: Especially since it seems like that's what they were kind of trying to do with those Netflix series, which yeah, you know, yeah. definitely had mixed results, but that's the risk you take when you say, we, we trust the creators, we trust trust the showrunners in this case, to create something new and original, and we're not going to make them beholden to the larger franchise, which those really weren't. And, uh, and I think... When they worked, they were really, really good. And when they didn't work, well, we all know what happened then. And, and of course, now that's been, that's been shuttered for reasons that we're not totally clear on. But they went out pretty ignobly in the end there. And we're getting now a new slate of Marvel TV shows that are going to be on this Disney Plus thing. And it sounds like those are going to be much more in line with the house style of Marvel. That could be really cool in a lot of ways to have a Disney budget behind those shows. I'm excited to see what they come up with. But I'm also a little bit, like you said, Ryan, I, I will miss that there's a going to be a Marvel show out there that can explore trauma the way Jessica Jones did or explore religion the way that Daredevil did. That was really cool to have. It's hard to see Disney fronting the money for something like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it'll just be, you know, what is their, what is their Marvel Max, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I mean, I yeah, don't yeah. really want Marvel Max because like, sometimes it's just like, oh, now the Punisher can kill people in right. ever more yeah. violent ways. So I don't want that, but I, I mean, I do think giving, like if we think about it in comics terms, like, you know, the fact that like Brian Azzarello could write a Joker book and have it be so different than anything in like mainline DC, like you know, if they can play off stuff like that, or and, you know, on the Marvel side like, and well, until he got pulled into the main universe, like have, giving Mark Millar per, like allowing him to write Old Man Logan and just having that be such a different take on the character, like stuff like that is what I love to see these companies doing. So as, as much as I want to see DC hopefully figure out a shared universe to tell some of these giant stories on these big canvases, I also hope that Marvel figures out how to do some of the, like give creators the options to take risks like DC seems to be allowing.
0: Do you foresee a a future at all down the road at any point where we could do a some sort of crossover there even and do the the Marvel DC that, and Oswald predicted in Parks and Rec and that people have been wanting ever since. Is that ever possible? Oh, man. I do not believe they could. I I just don't see legally, financially that ever working out. But I'm curious if you think there's any point in even hoping for it.
2: I don't know. I mean, maybe James Gunn could tie Guardians of the Galaxy to Suicide Squad somehow.
0: That's true. James Gunn is the common link right now. We didn't, we didn't talk about that either. I should have brought that up earlier in the news. But he was brought back in to to a, uh, some sort of complicated feelings around it. But I think ultimately... I think when, where we left it, last time we talked about James Gunn, is that that's ultimately probably a, a good thing, a net positive for him to be rehired. Yeah. Did I say that? Am I speaking, yeah, yeah. Am I speaking for the editorial we here? <laughs> <Is that okay? laughs> I, think,
2: I think that's okay to say, yeah. All right. All right. If you
0: come after Cape Town for this, then just come after me personally on Twitter. You don't need to drag the whole team for this. I'll take the brunt. So to wrap things up here, we're almost done. But one thing that I wanted to do infrequently on this podcast to start doing is I wanted to see what else you guys are reading that doesn't necessarily have to be connected to the subject at hand to Shazam it doesn't even necessarily have to be a uh, comic book related but I know that we've all got a lot of good books that we're going through and I wanted to see what else is uh, what, what else is on your nightstand right now I finally picked up uh Dan Slot's Silver Surfer Oh, did you? Uh, Now you
2: like Dan Slott again? (laughs) I know
0: it is. (laughs) Oh yeah, long time Cape Town fans know that Chris has some feelings about Dan Slott, and they're a little complicated.
1: No, I hate that because I feel like he's probably the nicest guy in the world. I just like I didn't like some of his Spider-Man stories. We'll say that, Um, (laughs) but I will say like his Silver Surfer book is so charming. I really love it. It's
0: really delightful,
1: and I'm not far. I'm not even far into it. I'm maybe like six six issues in, but uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and I don't have that much history with Silver Surfer, so um, I don't know like how drastic of a shift in his character. I kind of get the gist of like his character from other tie ins that I've read. Um, and other books but it's been a lot of fun so that's what that's the main thing i've been reading i've been trying to as issues of the current immortal hulk have been coming out on unlimited i've been catching up on that uh which is a completely different direction but just as fantastic
0: i love that immortal hulk series that's uh, and i'm not and hulk is not my guy i've never been a huge fan of the character I, i've never it's never been a really he's never really grabbed me the way that a lot of people have but the al ewings very very like uh unsettling uh definitely horror indebted take on on Hulk and immortal hulk is is really, really compelling, and it's at the top of my stack whenever it comes out. I can't wait to see where he takes that story next. It's been awesome.
2: I have not been reading a ton because I am trying to read other stuff. I did read a little bit of Hellboy for the first time, oh for the first time, yeah, for the first time uh it was really good. Um, I would like to read more, and there's a Hellboy movie coming out, but I do not know if it is going to be good.
0: (laughs) Well, I think we have the opportunity to do – we don't usually move outside of the big two, outside of the Marvel DC, but if we were ever going to do it, I I think that Hellboy would be a a good opportunity to. Because I do like Hellboy a lot, and uh, I'm actually pretty fond of those old Guillermo del Toro movies with Ron Perlman. I think they're pretty fun. Oh, yeah,
2: they're great. I love, like I think Hellboy 2 is awesome.
0: Yeah, I think, I think they're really, really good. I'm not sure what to think about this movie so far. The the yeah. traits have been made me a little, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to be surprised. Let's put it that yeah. way. It could go either yeah. way, right? No, I could really go either way. I had no idea
1: it was coming out next week. There's no buzz around it right now, so that kind of makes me think that the, it's just going to come and go. Yeah,
0: this close, like sandwiching it right between Shazam and Endgame, was an interesting choice. That's hard. Part yeah, of the yeah. studio, I'm not sure where they went for that.
2: Yeah, so I read a little bit of that. I read Southern Bastards Volume Four not that long ago, which was also great. Um, and then uh, on the Marvel Unlimited app, the thing I was most into. Was uh, the Darth Vader run? Oh man, by Charles Soul.
0: I don't know if it's Soul or Soleil,
2: Soul, yeah. Uh, which was like awesome, it was extremely cool. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, you have to like Star Wars for this, but like the idea of like watching or like reading the story of Darth Vader, like getting his lightsaber, and like having to, and there's just like so much force mythology, and now it's all canon because Disney owns oh, it rules so if you are the Patton Oswalt of your group, uh, I encourage you to check it out, because it is, it's is—it's also, like, a well-told story. You have to have a little bit of S- Star Wars knowledge, for sure, and, like, it helps to know, like, it's like, oh, they're in the Jedi Temple, and, like, I know what a Padawan is, and um, so, like, you have to know, like, some of that stuff. But the writing, as, uh, you know, fans of the podcast know, like, Charles Soleil has done some really good stuff um, on a variety of uh, characters, so... Um, yeah, because he like his Daredevil one run was really good. His She Hulk run was really good. So he's he doing really good work in like the mainstream Marvel side. So having him write Darth Vader was really cool.
0: I was very skeptical about a Darth Vader comic because a hey, I don't always truck with um uh, stories that that star, the villain, uh, that just isn't always my thing. And I think one of the coolest things about Darth Vader is how little is known about him. I like that. There's not a lot of backstory. It makes his rise so much more interesting to leave it in mystery. Um, but it is, has dispelled all of those concerns. It is such a fun, Read to go through I, I that's another one where whenever there's a new issue that comes out I, I was i was really really pumped about it so I'm glad you're liking it too it's it's fun it's very it's very metal it's very hardcore uh i'm I'm super into it i've been reading a lot, but I do want to this just started we're only two issues deep right now uh I think the third one comes out oh no we're three issues deep the fourth one comes out in two weeks here but i'm really uh you guys know that Daredevil's always kind of been one of my one of my favorites. I love reading Daredevil. And uh I really liked Chuck Soleil's run on Daredevil, but it just changed hands over to Chip Zdarsky. Uh Chip Zdarsky is a he's more known for comedy. Uh he comes from the world of comedy and then he was given a few very funny comic book titles and and he really did a good job of showcasing his humor at Marvel. Then they gave him Daredevil who's not known to be a funny character, usually a lot more brooding and, and grim, so it was kind of an interesting choice. But so far, it has just been fantastic. It feels like a. I think that one of the most interesting things about Daredevil is how long the streak has been alive with him. He's had a great run starting around the Clinton administration and carrying up to now. And so far, Zdarsky just hasn't missed a, a single step with that. The plot, and this won't spoil too much, but the, the plot so far, the opening arc, is that Daredevil accidentally kills a mugger, uh, sort of a, a low-grade mugger. He slips, bad guy slips, breaks his neck, and he's dead. And uh, so now Daredevil is very rightfully won by the law for what you'd call manslaughter. And uh, that's just such an interesting and, and obvious plot story for a superhero comic that i'm surprised i've never read anything like that before where he can't turn himself in and get up a secret identity but he also uh knows that what he did needs to face justice so he's a lawyer uh and i'm really really enjoying it so far i'd recommend zadarsky's to run to to anybody right now especially if you like daredevil yeah i'm excited to check it out and i think with that that will wrap things up for us this time Thanks for listening to Cape Town, guys. We always appreciate uh, the listeners that we get. Uh, We're excited about Shazam, and we will try to get a review out as soon as we can after we see it uh, so we can let you know what we'll think. We'll keep it as spoiler-free as possible, but you never know. And uh, if you like what you've heard here, obviously head over to our Apple Podcast page and uh, give us a positive review. If you don't like it, take your thoughts somewhere else. Uh, Thanks to Chad Michael Snavely for keeping us sounding good, doing all the editing work for us. As always, thanks to our own Ryan Hamm for the music that you heard here and we will see you all next time probably with a hellboy episode i'm tyler huckabee i'm christian blood and i'm ryan ham we'll hope to have hannah back soon
2: bye guys